You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. We've been working through Ephesians the last few weeks, and we are working our, this is our fifth week and working through it. And what we discovered is that the first part of Ephesians, there's six chapters, and the first three chapters, Paul is talking to the believers there in Ephesus about their identity, their identity in Christ. And that, that, that should be our identity. And that it, actually, if he was here today, if Paul was up here talking, he would say something like this. He'd say, don't think of yourself as being male or female. Don't think of yourself as black or white, as being rich or poor. Don't think of yourself as being single or married. And certainly don't think of yourself as being Republican or Democrat. <laughs> think of yourself as being in Christ. Amen. That's your identity. You're in Christ. Everything else is just stuff. It's just... It's, it's not who we are or who we are to be in our heart and at our core. Paul also tells us that when it comes to salvation, God has done all that needs to be done. He's done it all for us. We don't have to earn our salvation. He's made it available to us. And so that's the first three chapters that Paul's talking about and talking to the believers there at the church. And, but then when he gets to chapter four, which we started last week, he, he, he points out the fact that, hey, if this is who you are, there should be some visible evidence of that. And he, he really what he was telling the people in a lot of different ways, he's saying, don't live down to the lifestyle of the culture around you. You're better than that, was the way he phrased it last week. You're better than that. Live a life, and use this word, use this phrase, live a life worthy of the calling. You've been called by Jesus. You've been called by God. Live a life that is worthy of the calling in Christ Jesus. Choose godliness over your own natural desires. Don't seek status. That was very common in those days where to have a position, to have a title was a big deal. And Paul is telling him, don't seek status. Serve one another. Do everything you can do to be unified. Work through all the relational issues. Relationships are really, really important. Paul was saying time and time again. Paul recognized that relationships are very important in the body of Christ. They really do. In fact, he says in multiple places um, that, that that's how actually people will know who we are. They'll identify us as Christ followers by how we treat and relate and love one another. God's work in our lives changes us. When God is at work in you and I, he changes us. We're being transformed into the image of Christ. And that change should affect how we approach and manage our relationships. So if Christ is in me, it should affect in how I interact and treat you. Too often we evaluate life based on the quantity or quality of things. The size of our house, how much money we make, what kind of job we have, things. And we assess our we evaluate life based upon the things we've accumulated, the things we have. And if we have nice things or many things, then we feel good about ourselves and life is good. And I would suggest this morning that the quality of life should not be determined by the things we have, but our quality of life should be determined by the quality of our relationships. Do you have good and healthy relationships in your life? And in that regard, Paul gives us some very good guidance for how we should go about it. In um, the first part of chapter 5 in Ephesians, um, he gives us some instructions here. And it's actually two very short verses, and we're going to read them together. All right, so it's on the screen, or maybe it's in your uh, Bible or whatever you're holding. 
Um, but let's read this verse, these two verses together, shall we? Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, this day. I thank you that it's a day that you have made. And Lord, we've already come and we've rejoiced and we're glad in it. And for those who may be struggling this morning, God, I do pray that you would bring peace and comfort and calm, Lord, and replace any tension, anxiety, and stress with peace and hope and joy. Father, um, we love you and we thank you. And we thank you for Paul's words of encouragement to us. And sometimes they're a little hard to hear because it it points out, it it makes us aware of maybe areas where we need to grow or maybe areas where we need to change a bit. And so, Father, I pray that in those moments, those times that your spirit would indeed speak to us, that we'd have the ability to be honest and courage to, to, the courage to, be, uh, to accept those things as, as they might uh, come to us. So Lord, we just commit this time to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. So this uh, Thursday, in case you didn't know, this Thursday is Thanksgiving. And um, how many of you have a recipe that you're going to be using Thursday that's been passed down to you from someone else? A few of you, okay. Some of you just didn't vote, did you? Uh, Whether it's the turkey, how to prepare the turkey, or the stuffing, or a dessert, or a side dish. Um, Many of you met my parents. They were here a couple weeks ago. And um, among his many jobs, my dad, um, during a season of life, was an executive chef. Um, big hotels, conventions, conferences, and stuff, and, and that, was, that was his world for a number of years. My dad can make stuffing like nobody's business. It's just, it's, I, we grew up with it, and we love it. And so shortly after we were married, you know, Betsy grew up with a very different kind of stuffing. It just wasn't going to work, you know, so we had to, so, uh, uh, to be fair, we have reverted back to her style of stuffing, but... Uh, she was patient and just let it kind of run its course. But at the time, we needed, we needed um, I, I wanted to know how my dad made it because I wanted to make it for us now that, you know, we're married and starting life. And so I said, Dad, I need your recipe for stuffing. <laughs> He's laughing. He goes, yeah, I, I don't have a recipe for anything. You know, he, nothing's written down. You know, that's, you know, those of you who are chefs know it's, you just, it's just natural. And So he literally had to go make stuffing and keep track of what he did and then write it all down for me. And then about a week later, he calls me and he gives me the instructions, you know, over the phone and I write them down. And to this day, 30 plus years later, I still have those handwritten instructions on a piece of paper in a folder uh, there in our home. When it came to making Thanksgiving stuffing, I wanted to make it just like my dad made it. I wanted to imitate my dad. I wanted, to do, I wanted to be able to do what he did. In the passage we just read, Paul is telling us the same thing. We're called to be imitators of God. We're called to develop the qualities and the characteristics that are Christ-like. Be imitators of him. And if we do so, the, the healthier our relationships will be. Now, I think Paul realized what he was asking because, I mean, let's be honest. All right, I want you to be like the son of God. Okay, I'll get right on that. 
you know, I'm going to start practicing my uh, turning water into wine and walking on water and healing. I mean, he realized the comparisons, there's, there's a huge gap in what he's asking, all right? So he had to clarify, all right, what actually am I asking you to do? Because I'm not asking you to do that, per se. He gives us some guidance. In verse 2, he reminds us that God is love. And so in our relationships, we should love as he did, which was sacrificially. In verse 8, he reminds us that God is light. And so we should live in the light to avoid activities and behaviors that destroy relationships. I think it's interesting that he uses the word, you are light. He says, you are light in the Lord. Intentional use of the word light contrasts in a very significant way with the spiritual darkness of those not in Christ. And notice also that he doesn't say that we are to be light or that we should strive to be light. He says, you are light. If Christ is in you, you are light. And then in verse 15, Paul reminds us that God is wisdom. So we should live wisely, making right investments in our relationships. Specifically in verse 15, he says, Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Paul's telling us that if we want to be imitators of Christ, we need to have relationships of depth and substance. The kind that take time, even sacrifice. Those are the ones that matter the most. So what's interesting is so far in this passage and all the books we've read up to this point and all his comments, he's speaking broadly, generally to the group as a whole. And um, not to any specific person or he's not talking to... But then here in, towards the end of chapter 5, he shifts his focus. And the text doesn't tell us why. It just, all of a sudden, Paul changes the focus and he talks to three very specific groups within the larger group. Um, and now I approach this next part of the conversation here with a little bit of hesitation. Um, because he's taught, Paul's talking about relationships. And I'm very, very well aware that some of you have, in your past have had relationships that have been less than ideal. Some of them have actually been quite hurtful and painful and have left significant marks in your life even to this day. And I have absolutely no desire to make anyone feel bad, to feel guilty, to bring up those things as well. There's no guilt or condemnation or there's my intent, sole intent is just to show what God's intent is. The way he wants certain relationships to be. So if your experience is different, then my hope is that God will bring healing if that's what's needed. Will bring hope if that's what's needed. And at the very least, will allow you to have the courage and ability to change that path for your family. To change that path for those who follow after you. So another thing about this next section we're going to jump in here in a second is that there's three relationships he talks about and each three of these could, could not only be its own sermon in and of itself. Each three could be its own series. So we could develop multiple sermons upon each topic. So the fact that I only have a few minutes to talk about each one leaves me feeling like I'm dealing with them in a very, very, very insufficient manner. Nevertheless, here we go. At the end of chapter 5 and then into chapter 6, Paul talks to three specific, specific relational dynamics. And the first one he mentions or refers to as the marriage relationship. 
In Ephesians, starting in chapter 5 and starting with verse 22, he says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also, also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. <clears throat> Wives submit. I'm glad it, we're starting with the easy one first. Okay. All right. So we're talking about marriage all in like another few minutes here. So let me, let me, let me limit my comments to what Paul's talking about here in just these verses here. So I'm, I'm not going to talk broadly, um, which, which again is insufficient for the topic, but I, I, that's, just, that's the scope of what we're going to look at here this morning. But this passage reminds me that some of you... Uh, um, may have heard the story, there's two men uh, getting, they're in, getting their hair cut. And uh, one guy's in his 20s, and one guy's probably in his 70s. And they're in chairs next to each other getting their hair cut. And um, the young guy, you know, mentions that, you know, I'm getting married next week. And the other guy's, oh, that's great, congratulations. And, and uh, you know, I said, well, I, marriage is great. I've been married for over 50 years. I, I, I speak very highly of it. And the young guy's like, holy smokes, 50 years. You know, here's the guy who's only 20 years old himself. But to be married to someone for over 50 years was just mind-blowing for him. He goes, what's your secret? How did you do it? And the, the older guy says, well, we, my wife and I, we kind of worked out this system where she makes all the small decisions you know, for us. And I make all the big decisions for us. And the guy's really intrigued. What? Okay, I'm curious. What does that look like? What kind of small decisions does your wife make? He goes, well, she, you know, she decides, you know, where we live, you know, what kind of cars we drive, where the kids go to school, you know, things like that. And the, the young guy's a little cure, more curious. He goes, well, that's because what kind of big decisions do you make? He goes, well, I haven't made any yet. <laughs> it's important to point out here that Paul is not trying to establish a hierarchy, a pecking order, if you will. He's not saying that one person ranks higher than the other. One person makes all the decisions for everyone else. If, if Paul was saying that, actually men would be in trouble because of the 12 verses that are in this section, three and a half of them talk to women, eight and a half actually talk to men about their behavior. Paul gives three times the space and time to men's behavior towards their wives than he does to women. But it's also interesting and very important that we realize when Paul in verse 22 says, wives submit, before he says that in verse 21, which most people don't read, they forget, Paul says to both the husband and the wives, submit to one another 
out of reverence for Christ. So he says to both of them, submit to one another. And then he talks to one, and then he talks to the other, and then he comes back to both of them and says, you guys need to work together to make this happen. And that's the, the tone, and that's what Paul is saying, this, <clears throat> talking to them. Paul isn't just telling wives to submit their husbands, and he's not just telling husbands to serve their wives. To both of them, he says that you need to be mutually submitted to one another. There needs to be this idea of mutual submission. Marriage is hard sometimes. Not for us. We're good. (laughs) If both people are not willing to fight for their marriage, it will struggle. And what I mean not fight each other, I mean fight for the marriage. To give everything they have to the other person. Marriage is not a 50-50 arrangement. It's a 100-100 kind of arrangement. And unless you're giving all, you're shortchanging your spouse. Another thing about this passage that's important to keep in mind is that is just this idea of distance of time and culture. The role in women at that day and age was changing. It was getting better. Women were able to own property. Things were, things were changing. But it was still overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly a male-dominated society. So when Paul's talking about men and women serving and submitting to one another, that's a game changer. That wasn't, no one was talking like that in culture and society. So my encouragement there is don't get hung up on this word submit. Because what Paul's talking about here is not trying to create a subservient role for the, the wife. He's actually breaking new ground and saying, listen, you guys need to work together here. Wives, you need to do this. Husbands, you need to do this. But together... You can do this. That had never been said before. Only Christ followers live like that. That was huge for them. One last thing about this passage, um, verse 25, Paul tells husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Um, I've heard some men, I hope it's jokingly, you know, saying, well, you know, that, you know, reference of Jesus being willing to die for the church and, you know, sweetie, you know, I'll take a bullet for you if necessary. Now go get my dinner. That's not what Paul's saying. Okay? That's not what Paul's saying. That how we need to give. Because Jesus didn't just, didn't just die for the church. He lived for the church. Everything he did during his waking hours were for the benefit of his church. He didn't just die. He lived. And husbands, that should be our approach as well. Because of this, Paul tells husbands to love and cherish your wives as Jesus loved the church. Guys, remember those days when we were dating and you're trying to convince this woman that marrying you was a good idea? Remember all the things we used to do, the notes, the calls, the attention we gave them? But how much that changes over time where we stop the pursuit? We do. And men like the pursuit. We like the chase. And when we catch our prey, it, uh, we lose that. But you know what? I think, that, I, think, I think men, that should be part of our, our, our life. I think we should constantly be trying to pursue our wife and earning, not some earning in, the, in, in that sense, but being worthy of her love and devotion. Paul also says, wives, respect your husbands and submit to their leadership. 
believe for the best in your spouse. Even when the evidence wouldn't seem to be contrary. Believe for the best in them. To both of you, Paul says, be honest with one another. Believe the best in your partner and trust that they have your best interests in mind. That's a whole lot in a very small space and there's a lot more we could said we could say about that. But then Paul moves on to a second group within the larger group and he's talking about a family relationship. Starting in verse in chapter 6. Paul says, "Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth." Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Here too, Paul is talking to both sides of the relationship. He's talking to kids and he's talking to the parents. Both of you need to treat each other right in order for God's purposes to be realized. See, I'm I'm convinced that parents serve as a covering, a protective covering for their kids. Like an umbrella, if you use that analogy, an umbrella. And the umbrella keeps the rain and protects them from the elements. And when kids step outside of that covering, it limits what God can do and God's work in their life on their behalf. Now let's be honest. Some of us had parents whose spiritual umbrella, if they had one at all, had holes in it. And it didn't do a very good job of protecting us. The question then becomes, why should I honor and obey them? Here's the thing. Paul doesn't say that we're to honor and obey our parents only if you agree with them. He doesn't say we should honor and obey them if they're worthy of it. Paul doesn't even say that we need to honor and obey them if they're Christ followers. Now, we can certainly draw the line at something that would be illegal or immoral or contrary to how we understand Scripture. Paul doesn't draw much of a distinction here that we are to honor and obey our parents. And even as an adult, you know, the obedience thing might not be as critical. Uh, You know, I'm in my 50s for me to take directions from my dad would be kind of weird at this stage of life. However, I'm still expected to honor my father even if I don't agree with things or if I don't approve of certain things or the same with my, my, my mother as well, that we're to honor our parents because of who they are. Not necessarily because they've earned it, they're worthy of it, but it's for our benefit that we treat them the way they should be treated. But then Paul flips and says, but parents, you better be careful what you put your kids through because you can actually drive them away. Do not use your authority to exasperate your children, but to encourage and build them up. Children, honor and obey your parents, submitting to their instruction and to their leadership. um, It's not an easy path to walk sometimes as parents, as kids. And I know for some of you, we've shared, compared stories as now that our kids are adults, parenting at this stage of life is so much harder it is because they're making decisions that impact them and like, you're doing what? Okay. Then you pray, Lord Jesus, help them. Um, 
we have, but, but it's just very different as opposed to when they're four, when they just wear you out physically, but you can literally pick them up and move them where you want them to be. And <laughs> that's easier in that sense. But navigating that, there has to be this idea of respect and trust for one another. And as parents, let me just say this, it starts with us. We, you know this for a fact that it, it can take years to earn someone's trust. It can take seconds to destroy it. And so our behavior, I, there's been many a time over the years where I've gone to my kids and said, I owe you an apology. I didn't handle that the best way. Here's what I should have done, and, and I'm sorry I didn't do that way. Will you forgive me? And we work through that. Because it's important they realize, what, they, they, know, they already know that I'm not perfect, right? So the fact that I could actually have an honest conversation with them and open up and be honest about that for them actually just affirms the fact that I'm interested more in them than I am my status or my prestige as being their dad. And I just think that's just so important that as parents, we honor our kids and we treat them, sometimes even when they don't deserve it, but that we allow them and help them to grow and help them to develop into the, the people, the men and women that God has called them to be. Lastly, Paul talks to the third group, and uh, um, we're going to call that vocational relationship is the third group he's talking to. Now, actually, in chapter 6, Paul's talking to, um, he's talking to masters and slaves. In verse 5, he says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men. Because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there is no favoritism with him. Now, while the slave-master dynamic really isn't relevant in our day and age in our culture, I think there are very, very direct parallels to the work environment. Employer, employee. The words that Paul talks to the slaves and the masters at that age work very well when we apply them to our particular context here. And as with the other two groups, Paul is encouraging both of them to treat each other well. Employers, you should be equitable. You should be honest in your relationships with those that work for you, or that work under you. And then employees, you should respect your employers and work as unto the Lord. Again, there's so much more that can be said about, you know, that whole dynamic, those relationships. But in all of these here, what Paul is talking to everyone, having the right faith is not enough. You might have the right faith and you may end up going to heaven, but in order to be effective here on earth, to have the life here on earth that God wants you to have, the presence of Jesus in our lives must positively impact how we relate to one another. And as we follow the way of Christ, we elevate the quality of our relationships. So whether it's marriage relationship, parent-child relationship, employee-employee relationship, 
neighbor relationship, um, people in church relationship, whatever the relationships are, how are we treating people? One of the classes I taught this past fall was on theology and the theology of God and theology of creation. And this idea that we spent a lot of time talking about is the fact that we are made in the image of God. Every person you encounter is made in the image of God. How should that affect the way we treat them? How should that affect the way we relate to them, the way we talk to them, our attitudes towards them, our behavior towards them? Do we treat them with respect that they deserve, regardless of their status, regardless of the way they look, regardless of their mental capacity, their economic status, all of it, they're made in the image of God. And they're worthy, they are worthy of our best. Because life gets complicated sometimes and because life, we get full of our own issues and emotions, we don't always handle those encounters the right way. And when those moments happen and you recognize it, fix it, fix it. Again, to go up to someone and say, listen, I didn't handle that well, and I'm, I'm really sorry. It just frees everything up. They know you didn't handle it well, and they appreciate the fact that you want to make it right because the relationship matters. Folks, we got to fight for relationships. You got to not fight in relationships. Again, we got to fight for them. It takes effort. It takes intentionality. And so it's not so we, I don't know that we need to be sitting on edge worrying about every little thing, but that when something comes to our attention, we are aware of maybe we crossed the line or maybe we did something we shouldn't have, that we do all we can to make sure we're good. And I've even asked this sometimes. I say, are we okay? Is there anything else? Please let me know because I, I, want, I want there to make sure that we're, we're good. We can disagree. I mean... I mean, just because you, you can be unified and disagree, all right? So that doesn't mean we agree in everything, but it means that in the midst of this, I'm going to treat you with respect and honor. I'm going to listen. I'm going to be honest and open and direct. And, and then we'll see what happens, what God might want to do in us and through us. Amen? Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I thank you for... Uh, Paul's words to us and God I just feel overwhelmed with the amount the the stuff that's there that wasn't said or wasn't discussed today but God I'm trusting your spirit to to take whatever needed to have been heard this day and Lord each one of us will take something with us um, from here this morning Father I pray especially for those who maybe in this conversation about relationships have been reminded of some, some in their past that haven't worked out well And God, if there's healing that's needed this morning, I pray, Lord, right now here at this moment that they would release that one. Father, that they would give forgiveness. Lord, not because the person is worthy of forgiveness, but because they want to release that burden that's that's weighing on them. They want to be free from that emotional bondage that they're in. And Father may we then take the steps necessary to to put things right. Father, if there's a relationship that we need to take initiative on to bring order to or to to bring restoration to, that you'd give us the courage, Lord God, and the boldness to take that step. And then the wisdom and discernment to know how to have that conversation if necessary. 
But God, I pray that we would be responsive to those relational issues that would be in our lives, that we would do all we can to live a life worthy of the calling of Christ Jesus. And because of the transformation that's happening within us, we would then be able to influence those around us the way we manage those relationships. Father, we thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.